Just gotta let you get your business done. Hello. Hello. Hey, Richard, we're here. I'm uh, um, dialing in now. Or All right. Levi should be already be on the line. All right. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Loud and clear. All right, well, Bill, I guess you're going to break the ass. Break the ass. 
Yeah, my, um, one second. Yeah, trying to get a, a, a multiple phones going here all at the same time. Mm-hmm. That was me. That was not you, Levi. Um, so, um, uh, so what we have here from reading the uh, the letter is that they're just threatening contempt. They're not saying you are in contempt. They're saying, um, you know, show cause why we shouldn't then hold you in contempt. Right. Uh, and uh, because the uh, with the remand, not, just recapping, with the remand, uh, they are you know saying, well, why haven't you paid us? Because um, you failed in your appeal. Um, uh, let's well, see. So some of the, so some of the things that we are, you know, the so how, does that still jive with what we discussed with yesterday? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, first of all, I think we discussed uh, removing this to the United States Supreme Court. Was that? Am I confused, or did that get done? Um, that's where I would like to see if we can actually put that on the record as a removal um, before one o'clock on Wednesday. To physically be down there because we have to get the entire we have to get the entire record. Um, and then that entire record has to be mailed off to, um, or maybe we have to do that tomorrow. Um, that entire record has to be mailed off to perfect the removal. Right. Um, and then put the, the final nail on that is the notice of filing of removal. Um, so I've, I've done it for me, but we haven't, I haven't done it. We haven't done it for Tracy. All right. Now, you you can do it. Now, understand, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm saying you can do it. And uh, more than one person has had the experience in the past of then going to a scheduled hearing and say, here's your notice of removal, and the judge saying, okay, guys, get out of here. So it is certainly an option. Uh, if they're smart they might say that it was untimely because the fundamental rule is uh, in a criminal complaint, the removal is supposed to be uh, your first response. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, that doesn't that doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means that it creates a colossal or probably will create a colossal pain in the neck for them translated into more trouble it's worth. So I'm saying, uh, yeah, you can do that. If it was me, I would probably do it because of this important fact. The plaintiff and the defendant remain in the same position when it goes to a uh, higher court, except the uh, plaintiff has to pay the fees. Right, and right now they're they're waived the fees, or they at least believe and act under act under procedure, uh, policy procedure, custom and habit of not having to pay the fees. Mm, the state has. I believe the state has written legislation that they don't have to file 
they don't have to pay any filing fees when they're accusing um, someone of breaking one of their laws or one of their statutes or code. <laughs> they don't have to well, put up a bond. They, it, they have it to where the for uh, they they it's uh, written in the I can't remember which Mississippi code it is, but it says that they do not have to put up a bond. Well, they may not have to put up a bond for collection. That's fundamental of the law, but this is a removal to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court sets their rules, not the state legislature. The state right. legislature can't overrule the rules. But anyway, uh, let's, I agree. Let's, let's say that you're going to do that or not do it, and let's say that you show up for the hearing. Uh, first of all, how much is the fine? 1400 Okay. Uh your argument is I haven't received notice uh, from a probation officer that I have an opportunity to set up a payment plan because I can't afford to pay this. Okay. Well, the judge did ask me um, what I can't afford to pay last time, and he's like, "You can pay fifty dollars today, and then we can make up a payment plan, and um, you can pay what you can pay, um, or you can go to jail." Well, uh, the judge was correct, except there's a little loop that the judge apparently bypassed, and is that you don't pay that to the court; you pay it to a probation officer and so you need to you say you know I, I'm willing uh, to go on to a payment plan but I need to talk to somebody who's going to be receiving my payments and I need to go ahead and and make that first installment to them um, and the uh, threat of uh, putting you in jail for failure to pay a fine um, if it's a non-jailable offense, they can't do that, and they have been sued. Uh, the city of Wichita, Kansas, lost something like, I don't know, millions of dollars for doing that to people. So, but it, it's a it's a game. It's a mean game. It's a revenue engine. So, I'm not. And again, I'm not saying you should do it, but uh, go ahead and start on your on your payment plan. And uh, to find out who am I supposed to pay this to because I want to purge this contempt. I, do, I, I don't want to be found in contempt. It's fundamental in the law. Uh, if you, even if you are found in contempt, you have the opportunity to purge the contempt before you're incarcerated. And even after you're incarcerated, you purge the contempt by paying the, the fine. And the judge is apparently very well aware that you can assert a claim of poverty uh, depending on the common law in the state, you may also be able to assert a claim of uncollectible. In other words, if you show that by paying the fine you will be driven to beneath the poverty level, uh, you cannot be you cannot be made to pay it. The irony is you can't bankrupt away from a fine. But depending on the the authority and statute and authority in the common law, you may be able to assert a claim of uncollectible. But you can certainly the the intent 
is for a non-jailable offense in particular is not to drive you into poverty. So the uh, the the stern argument to make is I need to know. Uh, I thought I had the opportunity for a payment plan. I need to know who to pay it to, and I'm prepared to make a $50 installment payment today, and then I need to get this thing uh, going to the best of my ability. Make sure you use the words to the best of my ability. Because if you make a record and say, I'll pay it, then you're making a record that you're you can pay it, so you want to say to the best of my ability. Right. And do we do we need to worry about including uh, payment under protest since we're not done exhausting our remedies? Or no, no. Okay. Uh, you're, th- see, that is that is crossing a bridge. That is correct, but I don't advise doing it because it pisses them off. And these are very dangerous people. Ask me, I spent four nights in jail uh, last year, and their intention was to kill me in that jail. I had never committed a crime. I still haven't. They still can't say what crime I've allegedly committed. The crime I've committed is I'm a, quote, enemy of the state causing great turmoil in the courts. Well, that's not a crime. But anyway, uh, the point I'm trying point I'm trying to make is these are very dangerous people. Uh, They're an admixture of psychopaths and sociopaths. And if the door has been opened, as it correctly should be, to uh, pay installment payments, then you want to know, okay, uh, am I supposed to be in communication? I haven't heard from a probation officer or some other officer of the court that is that I'm supposed to uh, make my payments to. Thus, I certainly I certainly want to be honorable to the extent that I'm able. And that should elicit a comment from the uh, judge uh, to communicate with some office and uh, uh, then the office will report to them that you've gone you've gone ahead and you've started a payment plan. Yeah, at, at the date, they uh, they said the clerk would take care of you up at the front desk. Okay. Uh, then uh, you can you can alternately, before the hearing, uh, give the case number to the clerk and say, I'm here to make a, a payment. Then you take the receipt for the payment, you show that to the judge, and you're done. Now, this is... You recommend going ahead and start a payment plan, um, even what? Right, but so okay. Well, that I think your phone died. Is it dead? Can you hear me? You yeah, can? I can hear you. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, but even though we're still pursuing this in the circuit court you would um, go ahead and set up a payment plan? Yes, I would. And again, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's not even a matter of uh, legal or versus illegal. It's a matter of those people love to torment people. 
They routinely take people into the Oklahoma County Jail and murder them. Yeah. And they do that to extort compliance. If they can make the civilian population so afraid of going to jail that they'll do almost anything to stay out of jail. Yeah. And they, it's an extortion racket. My uh, daughter, when she was a uh, public defender, temporarily broke that racket. Uh, it didn't last. They got rid of her. And uh, anybody anywhere is in jeopardy unless you happen to be fortunate enough to find an actual honest, competent judge. And they're out there, but they're few and far between. We're still in a uh, a world of uh, mayhem and mystery and madness when it comes to appearing before the black robes. So my advice is don't chance it. Uh, If you can go right in before the hearing, go to the clerk, give them the number, say I want to make an installment payment, make an installment payment, take that, and when the the judge calls it, say, I'm on a payment plan. Thank you. Am I excused? Because you can always fight on the back side, but trying to fight on the front side, uh, they are going to make your life miserable if you try that. Yeah. See, and that's, that's, see, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to We're trying to soften the threat the sort of damage right. yes. while we're yes. still trying to move forward. Yeah, it's just like, and I, I hate to allude to uh, police work since police work has become so corrupt, but the number one obligation of every policeman is what? To go home at the end of their shift. In other words, trying right. to avoid all the trouble you can and then do your job otherwise. And I, I've seen it so many times with the Patriots, particularly with the IRS. They try to fight the uh, IRS on the front side, and they don't realize it's not a matter of whether you're right or not. It's a matter of who has the biggest guns. And so uh, go along, play the game, and then fight it on the backside. And if you're careful and you follow the rules and you invoke the rules, it is almost 100% fail-safe that you can never be prosecuted by the IRS and probably 98% fail-safe that they can never take your money or property away from you. But you really have to get into the rules and do that. Now, the same theory is everywhere you're dealing with civil authority. And I don't mean civil lawsuits. I mean the people that wear the badges and have the guns. Anytime you're dealing with them, you've got to understand that they're operating a revenue engine first, and if some accidental justice comes along later, so be it. So you've got to an extent play the game their way and uh, somebody out there is is just about to uh, make history, I think, on a lot of different fronts. Well, don't know if it's us, but if someone's <laughs> got to. Well, um, if you're if you're merely if you're merely 
a private in an army where the army advances and somebody wins, everybody wins. Yeah. I agree, totally. Um, okay. Um, okay, well, uh, go ahead, Levi. There's a, another question in this mix. You've heard that they, the comment about the appeal to the circuit court. Under that Boston v. Leiden, there's an absolute right to a trial de novo. And there's a case we just got here a few weeks ago. Got a mission uh, decided, yeah, decided August 2nd this year. Uh, City Grand, yeah, City Grand Rapids versus uh, a 2000 Denali. And in it, the uh, car was picked up. The fellow in it had some marijuana. So they don't confiscate the car. Well, the owner of the car was not there at the scene, and the value of the car was determined to be less than 2500 And so there was no, by the Michigan statute, you had to post a $250 bond to open a case to contest the seizure. It was over 2500 the government was obligated to initiate proceedings themselves to uh, be able to get a decision that they could keep what they seized. Well, this woman said she didn't have the money for the bond. The dollar was less than $250. <clears throat> so anyway, they quoted several Supreme Court cases that the, uh, imp- the imposition of costs to keep people out of the access to the court, and that being their only method of dispute resolution. And it was a denial of due process. Right. And so the precious situation is they wanted $1,000 per ticket and $500 per ticket. But 1000 was appearance bond per ticket, meaning $3,000, and then $500 per ticket for a cost bond, another $1,500. $4,500 to appeal the circuit court. Now, she has an absolute right to a trial de novo, and the imposition of costs denied her access to the courts. Right. And the circuit judge said she didn't pay her costs, but she couldn't come into court. And then on that day, she was set outside, and Bill went in there and said, I'm Fresh on for purposes of this hearing, I'm here, you know, present for the matters before court. They called her name three times and said, well, she didn't make an appearance. And so this is why they kicked the thing back to the JP court. And in their notes to her was that for players to appear or pay the fine, they're having this show cause as to why she shouldn't be held in contempt. Yeah. And, of course, you can file a motion to vacate denial of due process and cite that court and state that it is analogous to the whatever name of the case was, mm-hmm. that it put justice for sale. Right. Okay, now... Case, it, it put a ransom on justice. Okay, now, she, she put in a motion to reinstate we didn't have that case at that time, but anyway, the judge kicked it back. But, you know, he denied it, failure to pay the amounts. 
So the <clears throat> question then is that this is not going to amount to a direct appeal. This is this is my take on it. Uh, but a man, Damus, from the Court of Appeals to the Circuit Court, but have to state it for the, you know the, the reason given. They, they can't impose a cost, especially whenever they want to institute the proceedings and deny her right to court and uh, you know deny the due process requirements by racketing the price, you know ratcheting the price so high. Right. And uh, so <clears throat> the statement about removal to the Supreme Court or this. Other, just going to put this in conflict to keep this going through the state courts? Uh, you can do both. You can, you, can, you can use any remedy that is lawful and reasonable until one forecloses the others. So if you can think of six things to do, you can do all of them. And until there's a ruling on one of them, you do not have collateral estoppel on the others. Okay. Okay. Because that was one of the questions in, in your paperwork on the notice of removal, uh, that the decision that's used on that final piece specifically states that um, the state, in that case, continued to file paperwork in the lower court after the removal. Um, or that's what the state was stating is the um, is the date and time and and how the uh, the other party or the uh, defendants um, had filed some stuff out of process and the and the Fed came back and says no everything's in everything's in line everything uh, appropriate if had if the paperwork had been filed af- after the removal then um, I can't remember if it was of none of none effect. Uh, or if it was um, uh, invalidating the removal, that you did a removal and then you continued filing paperwork in where you did the removal. Oh. Um, but that part, I don't want to. I don't want to step on. You know, if we do the removal, right? I, I, know, what, I know where this comes from. Yeah. Jason was down there in Raleigh. We made a removal before we ever did anything in the local court. And right. the rule is that until you avail yourself of uh, exhaust your no, administrative process? No, if you move the state court to make a ruling on your behalf, you've gone into their jurisdiction, and it vacates the removal because the removal is done before anything is done in the state court. In this instance, we didn't answer anything in the state court. We just moved for a removal. Right. And as such, we had not applied for any remedy to the other court, which the federal court then would not intervene in. And so we, you know, we, we met the qualification that <clears throat> if we wanted a federal court to intervene, we could not have applied to another court for its, uh, you know, for its help, so to speak. But putting that motion, right. you know, for them to rule on. Right. And, yeah. So, uh, again, uh, you are looking at the uh, letter of the law and follow it to the best of your ability, but don't let it be a hang-up. 
In other words, you did it right in that case. Now you're coming along after the fact and uh, saying, well, if we remove it, then can we file anything in this court? Can we pursue this uh, here? Actually, uh, don't be overly anxious about that. If you're going to do it, do it. Right. And let them be the advocates of saying what's wrong with it. Okay. And your your safe harbor ultimately is the rule of supremacy. Hmm. They, you know, I'm not a I'm not a bar licensed attorney. I was doing the best I can to protect my interests, and uh, the Supreme Court controls. So it doesn't matter what I tried to do down here. I was I was proceeding in what I feel was good faith. Right. Okay. And another question about this matter of bail uh, being in, in the circuit court. The you know, says not to be the law impairing the obligation of contracts and there in the federal constitution. And when it comes to Coming to marriage, Tracy has power of attorney to sign her power of attorney to over the bill for in exchange for coverture and for the attorney guild to come in and interfere with the contract so they can deny access to the courts. Uh, seems to me to be a a, a uh, inadmissible. Or, I mean, uh, in an inexcusable or indefensible uh, interference with marriage that they would foreclose uh, the courts and claim it's practicing law when in, when in actuality Bill right. is an intervener or he is a principal because he has property interests that are before it's the court. A, yeah, it's logical. It's logical, but uh, and and uh, I haven't done a lot of intensive research in that area for a very long time, but going back uh, probably 15 years ago, the state of Washington agreed with you. But I don't, I don't know that anybody else did. So you can you can make the argument, but it's probably going to uh, get down to the case law on the subject. There, there is. There is a a case uh, a law that I found in Mississippi where a husband they called it I believe they called it next friend um, quote unquote you know it's I think uh, here comes uh, Miss Harrison by way of next friend her husband uh, X Y Z um, and I think the particulars of that one was that she was seventeen and his and his wife at the time. Right. Uh, so it, it also qualified as, I guess, infant status. Well, yeah, there's there's a number of things that qualify as next friend. And uh, actually, anxiety about the effects on your health qualifies as next friend. And yeah, it, we, we, have, we have post, after a couple of these court cases, Tracy's gone to the emergency room and... Um, and they're saying that she she was suffering from 
um, some some great anxiety. She didn't tell them what went on. She just told them what she was experiencing, what was going on, and she felt like she was going to die. Right. Um, and so well, we're trying after to avoid that. One twelve hour day at court, honey. Um, my whole left side hurt. Like my arm hurt. Like I don't know what. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like. It was like a contracting, throbbing pain on my arm and my face. My whole left side, I'm like, dang, down have a stroke? And the doctor's like, well, it's anxiety. Right. Because you didn't uh, have a stroke. Probably referred to as an anxiety attack. Right. And uh, your body produces a uh, substance called, uh, the letters for it are A-C-T-H. I've forgotten what the actual long Latin name for it is. But anytime there is a stimulus where your body feels threatened, your body automatically starts making this substance, and it is actually intended to empower you to run away, literally. But if you can't run away, then you get a buildup of the substance in your system, and it starts to attack your system. So, yeah, yeah, that... That is that is that has been a valid um, uh, next friend, but the next friend argument is different from a uh, contract, and probably the only contract that you're going to find is one that is subordinate to a marital contract, because a married couple is referred to in some senses as a corporation. I think we we were referencing uh, Coke and Blackstone. We didn't write it up, and maybe we should have wrote it up in our in our support and brief and memorandum of coverture that where both uh, Coke and Blackstone said that you know a man husband and wife are considered one flesh in the law. Um, right. Um, so we were we we do have a a, a marriage contract uh, between each other. Um, but it was in humble imitation of the uh, one flesh um, so that we might have more meat to, to, uh, when we go to court um, as opposed to uh, being all verbal and uh, we're following scripture and, and, uh, and living the way uh, the Almighty um, revealed um, to his servants to, to deliver to us. but don't have any recognition in the court. Yeah, uh, the courts are so, uh, for want of a better word, squirrely. Uh, the judiciary is unreliable. There's good people and bad people, and there seem to be a lot more bad people than good people. But even with a good person, that doesn't mean that they're really knowledgeable in the law. Uh, one of the best judges ever in Oklahoma County had a reputation of fairness that was really just built on a sense of fairness. It had nothing to do with knowing the law or applying it. It had to do with just feeling, well, this side uh, really seems fair for this side and unfair for this side. That's what it always got down to. Yeah, um, the... The JP judge, he um, 
I asked him if he was an attorney. Um, he said, no, I'm not an attorney. Whenever I have a question about what the law says, I ask the prosecuting attorney. So the prosecutor, <laughs> the prosecutor is coming after me and charging me, and this judge is saying, hey, um, you're the one that's going after her, but I need to ask you what the law says. Need to know right. what to do in this instance. Well, right. I'm gonna. I want to <laughs> win, so say this. Yeah, that's do called this. being. De- that's called being deprived of an impartial trier of fact. <laughs> so we, we want to get that in there, but we want to. We want to stave off the. The the goal is we want to stave off the pain and suffering or the threat of of right. people with guns being in court Wednesday at 1 p.m. Right. And uh, so I will call them and see if there's any way we can make arrangements today that would um, that would satisfy satisfy yeah. satisfy them sufficiently. And if we still need to show up, that's fine. Because you know we we're making right. just say you know just very simply we're we've we've made payment arrangements and. And uh, or we're working on making payment arrangements. We just need a uh, probation officer to make those arrangements with, or an order. Because you you need. It doesn't matter what you talk to somebody about over the phone. You need a piece of paper in your hand that's signed need by somebody. Right. Which you is if I so I'll go down there tomorrow. Uh, right. With the receipt and get a receipt. Right. Pay them before they close. Uh, see if we can work out the details today. Right. Yes, definitely. Okay. And then... Uh, um, uh, <clears throat> Richard, have you been aware that City of Grand Rapids versus the 2000s and Ollie regarding the, the, the write-up that... Creating these appeal costs will deny people access to the courts. And, hey. Uh, uh, no, I'm not familiar with it, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some awfully good law that's come about over the years and over the past few years. Uh, there was a case out of the Tenth Circuit where an individual had filed something like 42 lawsuits. And the 43rd was dismissed summarily because he was called a vexatious litigant. And he appealed that to the Tenth Circuit and said, we don't see any similarity between this case and other all these other cases. So as long as you raise a new issue, you cannot be called a vexatious litigant. And you cannot be subjected to any kind of claim preclusion. So, okay. so there's there's some great law, but being able to rely on it requires a judge who is not criminally insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was something. The old JP said, "Well, I asked the prosecuting attorney what the law is." I thought, man, would have been the time. Said, so "Well, why don't you ask me?" <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what's my basis? 
what, what, what would be the basis for asking you? Are you an attorney? No, but I believe in the founders when they said that you should be knowledgeable in the law and well disposed to using it. So you ask me this time. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we laid out the position on, in writing. Mm-hmm. And they never, they, of course, they don't answer. You know, right. I understand their workload. But the other thing is, too, it's it's a scam. It's an enormous scam that's going on. Right. Sure it is. Yeah, it's, a, it's the key words, the key phrase is revenue engine. Yeah. A revenue engine. <clears throat> government is government is not supposed to make money off the people. Government is supposed to break even. Right. Right. And uh, there, go ahead, Levi. Well, going back to, of course, there's a similarity with Bill's case and Jason's case about these fees. And uh, <clears throat> when it comes to Tracy's situation here, the uh, she didn't go to jail on her her situation, but uh, the uh, what they're doing, they're moving this from they're trying to, they're trying to once they get a contempt charge, they can charge up to a thousand dollars for holding you in contempt, which means that on each ticket they could add another thousand dollars. And mm. so, whoa, 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 whoa! I'd have to see the statute on that one. So I, you know, my my suspicion is that's why they're why they're dogging their heels. Wow! Uh, see, because the, only the legislature can set the rules for indirect contempts. And until right. and until the legislature, in their rulemaking capacity, sets the rules for indirect contempt, the courts are uh, acting out of court. Uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, it's too ugly a subject to even go into this late in the day. Cost you some sleep, but um, the. Uh, uh, only the legislature can enact legislation setting the rules for indirect contempts. Okay. Now, the courts can set their own rules for direct contempts. Right. There's a world of difference between a direct contempt and an indirect contempt. Right. Okay, well, I'll have to look into the Mississippi Code and see if there's any indirect contempt standards or, you know, statutes of any kind of write-ups. Right, and uh, yeah. Uh, the, the question is, where do I find the rules enacted into legislation into positive law with notice to the public where the legislature has said what the penalties are for indirect contempt? Now, again, if that lawyer's in that courtroom, he can't cite the law. Uh, is this again trying to bring charges without a law? Uh, or trying to, trying to bring a case without charges? 
Right. Yeah, I, I think I understood your question. And uh, uh, that would need to be a new case unless he can cite statutory authority. Okay. And I kind of doubt that he can. Right. Because they're going to charge you with something that the legislature is required to, or, you know, that's a legislative uh, prerogative there. Surely he should have to bring forward the, the law then. Only the legislative branch of government can enact legislation into positive law with notice to the public that uh, they can be fined or imprisoned for an act in violation of a statute. Okay, so if they're going to order a show cause hearing, then they need to bring that statute forward. They do. Okay. But don't go there before the fact. Yeah. Pay them some money, keep them off your back, and then bring it up under a 42 U.S.C. 1983. Okay, and that's done because extortion, threat of violence, uh, actually, it's uh, uh, deprivation of uh, a constitutionally secured right under color of law. Okay. Well, what 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 right do you have? Well, the one right is to uh, make income and own property, and you're trying to take my income and property away from me without telling me the statutory authority for doing so. Mm-hmm. Which is the whole right, um, what we were looking at the other night, the, the uh, right to uh, uh, be secure and uh, have to have due process before they take it, as opposed Absolutely. to voluntarily handing, handing it over. No, 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 Absolutely. hold on. You voluntarily wrote the check. It's ours now. No, 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 no. I, was, I was fraudulently induced huh? to write the check. It was written under threat, duress, and coercion. Well, did you write that on check? Didn't have to. Got a show cause over here with no law. Right. Okay. 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 Make arrangements. Um, see if we can get we'll get it in writing. Now, uh, now, Richard, what if they say no? You got to pay it all right now, or go to jail. Mm. If they uh, refuse your if they refuse your tender offer to be able to make arrangements, mm. I I hate to say this, but I can't imagine them doing that because it is fundamental in the law, particularly for a non-jailable offense, to uh, say that you have to pay the full fine and you are denied a payment plan. Okay. Uh, I can't tell you where it is, but I bet if you look, you'll find that it's fundamental in the state law that um, a person has to have an opportunity for an installment plan. Okay. All right, well, we'll have to look for that, too. Well, and and while you're looking for it, uh, search under the keyword uncollectible. Okay because it, it, you might find support for the contention or the position in law 
that if it's a non-jailable offense, that uh, if you pay it, it would cause hardship, hardship being defined as being reduced below the poverty level, then uh, you are to be determined uncollectible. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between that and the consumer debt is a consumer debt you can shield from under bankruptcy court. You cannot shield a fine in bankruptcy court. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, now, oh, this brings up a question. <clears throat> in dealing with these people here, and we look up these requirements. Can, let's say it got as bad as having to file a habeas, can, now I, I, I'm assuming there's an argument against this right off before I ask the question, but can the reviewing court say, well, you knew the law, it's your responsibility to know the law, and therefore your citation relieves them of notifying you of the charge because you're already aware of it? It gets back to what has the legislature said that the penalty shall be for this specific act. Okay, and if they don't allege it, it's not up to us to supply it, even if we know it. Right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, they, they, there has to be notice of all law. Criminal code is uh, thought to, is considered to be self-noticing. But when you're talking about traffic, that's not criminal law. Mm -hmm. And so where where is that law published in a manner that you know that it applies to you? Okay. And that is your key to coming up with a um, civil rights lawsuit, saying that they are operating an impermissible under the law revenue engine. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Bill, I want to ask a question uh, for regarding Jason's situation. Uh, well, uh, but, okay. All right. I want to before I do, I want to make sure you know you get you uh, tell me when your your thought process is on your case error. You know, got all your answers, or you've exhausted your questions, so to speak. Well, in other words, in other words are you all done? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, well, there, there, there were there were things that I wanted to talk about that have slipped my mind trying to listen at the same time as hold on to my thoughts um, and being interjected. Tracy, go ahead um, and speak your question. Levi, you had mentioned, I don't know if you ever got the answer to it, but the difference between generally applicable laws and privilege. Right. Now, see, Richard, this brings up a, a point that these privileges are, they're uh, talking about, you know, are listed under this Commissioner of Revenue. And then they turn around and they tell Bill, this is a generally applicable law. Well, then, how could it be a privilege? Ow. And uh, so anyway, they're re they're they're 
describing his privileges is generally applicable. And, uh, right. Again, again, it's going to get back to what is the legislature said. Because remember, there are uh, really only two forms of statute. There are criminal statutes apply to everybody, and there are regulatory statutes that apply to proper subjects of legislation. And yeah. a simple uh, privilege, you're your constitutional privileges are found in the rules of evidence. And they're either derived uh, directly from the Constitution, referred to as substantive rights, or they're derived from the common law in which they are um, still rights, but they're not substantive, but they are still have that same level if the legislature has uh, created a rule saying this is a privilege under our rules of evidence. Now, uh, other privileges are related to uh, charter or licensure. How did you get this privilege? Right. <clears throat> now, this goes to the fact that there has to be elements of whatever it is, that they have stated are privileged activities before they demand payment. Those are never those are never proven. It's just a you're engaged in a privilege and you didn't pay your amounts and that's it. You know, you're guilty. That's which is what, what happened with Tracy. And uh so they don't uh, give recognition to court decisions which explain some of this. They don't give recognition to the legal definitions or the way that the state code, you know, that they've uh, written it. That privileges are related to matters that uh, are of livelihood or profit. All activities of livelihood or profit. And uh, so they never Never, never touch those elements, and yet they, you know, routinely condemn people for every everything. Everything has to be derived from either the common law or from statutes. If you're in federal, it has to be derived from statutes. Period. Okay. So, what is the statute, rule, or law that guarantees you this privilege? Where is it? I need to see it. Where can I look at it? Put my finger on that law. I want to read it. I want to run my finger right along the words in that sentence, and I want to read it. I want to know why you have this privilege. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the uh, almost untouched clauses in the fundamental Constitution is the Privileges and Immunities Clause. Mm-hmm. which says, in, a, in essence, that if you can find a privilege in one state applying to an individual, then you can apply it in any other state. Mm-hmm. Well, see, in Tennessee, privilege is defined as a for-profit activity affecting the public interest. Right, and that's why I say that it's usually related to charter or licensure. Yeah. 
and they, they, you know, they don't ever prove any of these elements. Right, but it has to go. It has to be. There has to be some authority for it. Uh, you can't go down the street and open a bank. You're not privileged to do that unless you have a charter. Mm-hmm. Once you have the charter, you're privileged to engage in the business of banking. Same way with numerous other uh, things, and they are uh, related to either commerce or the uh, police powers. Mm-hmm. And again, well, up- mm-hmm. they're regulatory in nature. Yeah. Now this brings up a question I had uh, asked on some previous conversation. Uh, what if you send money to the Commissioner of Revenue and Commissioner of Department? I mean, the uh, yeah, Department of Public Safety, and you know you take a driving course, and they you know graduate you that you're you know you're confident behind the wheel. Now that both defeats the fact that you know they're they're out for revenue, and defeats the fact that there's a safety issue. So the regulatory aspects of safety on the roads is not, or the lack of money is not the deal. But they throw you in jail for not having a license. Now that right there is an entirely different ball of wax. <laughs> you know that they're yeah. trying to feed on. Yeah. They can't they, they can't go and bar, or try to argue these other two elements. Well. See, the, the, the biggest joke about licenses of all nature is they're not a guarantee of competency. Right. They're, so. just, they're just a guarantee that you're, you, can op, you can experience that privilege. Right. doesn't mean that you're good at it or competent at it or even honest and fair in how you dispatch it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, they also got her wrote a ticket for not having insurance, but I've, I've got a case in here that says insurance is not commerce. Now, I don't know why, but anyway, I was wondering if you might shed some light on how they can force you in something that's not commerce. Um, they can if the system of privilege that you operate under makes it a requirement for that. Okay. And, for example, all collection of debt must be uh, uh, done by a licensed, bonded um, debt collector. Mm -hmm. Well, where does a debt collector go to get a bond? Well, the answer is they have insurance. And insurance uh, provides the bond. So they're not per se required to have insurance, but they're required to have a bond. And the only way they can get a bond in most cases is to buy insurance. Mm-hmm. So you might say that insurance then is, is required. Uh, the same thing for commercial drivers on the roadways. But why does that apply to an individual that's just simply traveling? And the only way that it can apply is under the theory of quasi-contracts, but that has a burden of proof about using the uh, uh, highway 
according to a code that you're required to subscribe to. And most of the time that code is a motor vehicle licensing code and it applies to commercial drivers. Right. <clears throat> well, the quasi-contract, according to the, some of the comments I've seen in these decisions, if you engage in a privilege and receive the benefit, but you haven't paid your fair share of the burden. Right. That so is you're obligated that's to do that. definition. Mm-hmm. So. But how do, how do they know that you have engaged in that privilege? Right. Now, are you ready for the back door? I suppose that they say, well, we, we've proved that you have, been, you have had that privilege, yes, and I paid for it. Well, so you do have a license? No. I paid for it when I put gas in my vehicle. I paid for that privilege. Mm-hmm. I paid my fair share for that privilege. And I put gas in my vehicle. Uh-oh. <laughs> so there's a, there's a lot of territory for that's fertile for litigation. Uh, it's not necessarily the uh, steepest hill that you'll climb, but it's one that they really do not want to hear. <laughs> okay. Well, that's... that's <clears throat> Which brings up a matter with Tracy's situation, again, regarding a mandamus to Court of Appeals to instruct the Circuit Court to take her appeal, or, of course, we know about the removal to Washington, but is a suit for declaratory relief uh, another viable uh, means of forcing her hand on this? Let's go back to the one before that. Uh, You cannot accomplish with a mandamus the enforcement of a judicial act. The The purpose of the mandamus is where the act is non judicial. Okay, well, is it ministerial to docket an appeal when a filing fee's been... I'm not, in other words, not that the judge has to do it, but I'm saying is that in the category of ministerial acts that the appeal has to be docketed if the filing fee is paid? Uh, the, the, yeah, that is a judicial act. Determining the court's jurisdiction is a judicial act. So you probably are not going to get any uh, mileage out of a mandamus in that case. Mm. Your route is to vacate the is to petition to vacate it based on denial of due process. Vacate the the order. The, vacate the dismissal. So his dismissal of uh, that that was my question. Thank you. So to vacate his dismissal of the appeal. Yes. Vacate the dismissal of the appeal. The dismissal appeal uh, is in contravention, and then you name the case, holding for the proposition that you cannot be made to, in effect, put in effect in brackets, in effect pay a ransom in brackets, by uh, having to pay the cost of an appeal as your uh, 
access to the, the appellate court. Okay. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Now, should we forget when they signed that order denying the appeal? Feel like it's slightly over 30 days ago. Doesn't matter. It does not matter when there's a jurisdictional failing. Okay. There's no time limit. Okay. The court, right, was, well, the court was deprived of jurisdiction because the court, according to application of the law found at, then you cite the authority, denied due process. Denial of due process renders the court's uh, determination a jurisdictional failing. Okay. Okay, we'll restyle that instead of a mandamus then. Yeah, because again, if it even looks like you're asking for a review of a judicial decision, they'll kick it out. Okay. It's where the judge did something that the judge does not have discretion for. Okay. Um... Since there are things that I left, or I feel is left out of the original paperwork, can we um, redo the paperwork, or, I mean, leave off, do, maybe you know? No, how how um, you do that is you file a motion to supplement the record on appeal, and you give your grounds. Okay. The motion to supplement... The record on, on appeal. The record on appeal. Now, now, does that is that necessary for the trial for the appeal that's in effect a trial de novo? Yes, sure. Okay. Because I I thought in trial de novo we can we can start with everything. We can we can still add um, new matters uh, in a well, trial there, de novo. Yeah, there may there may be uh, there may be some variation state to state, but fundamentally, de novo means that they look at the record as it was made, and so they're just sitting as a new trial court reviewing the record, looking for uh, uh, manifest error or uh, uh, ap- yeah. Well, no, the abuse of discretion is not an issue on uh, de novo. De novo is uh, uh, clearly erroneous or manifestly in error. Mm, okay. See, because they're, they're, they're not concerned about the action of the judge. They're sitting as a new judge of the same case on the same facts. If the facts need to be enhanced and you have grounds for doing so, then you can supplement the record in the de novo trial. But de novo trial is is merely looking uh, is having it's a literally a new trial before the appellate court, where they're looking at the same presentment of facts. 
Okay, that was my error in understanding. I I expected the the slate to be wiped clean and the, it would start all over. Uh, no. Okay. No. Uh, it's as if you said, okay, well, we're going to have this trial again. We're going to have the same arguments at law. We're going to have the same testimony, but we're going to have the judge step out. He's going he's to go out, and we're going to have the appellate court come in and sit as a three-judge panel to see what they think are the same, uh, fi- what, what do they make of the same facts, and what do they make of the same uh law, and if they come up with a different conclusion, then the original conclusion was clearly erroneously or manifestly an error. And if if that circuit court, uh, you know, we don't like the answer there, then that's where it goes to the appeals court and then the the state Supreme Court? Sure. Okay, uh, now, assuming we're going to be able to get a reinstatement there in the circuit court, uh, one of the things that we did on Jason's case was we subpoenaed the Commissioner of the Department of Public Safety and the Commissioner of Revenue, because those are the two guys involved with licensing, automobiles and driver's license. We want to spend them in as an expert witness to testify to the and also, these commissioners are responsible for the enforcement, the sole responsible, sole party responsible for the enforcement, but they may deputize, and then they'll give a list of these other state employees, highway patrol, local police, sheriff, so on, LEOs, in the, you know, in the uh, enforcement. So they're the principal in, in this action. We wanted them in there to tell us exactly what these criteria were for this licensing activity, what what <laughs> elements require this licensing, and then we wanted their agent down here to show he had evidence for those elements that require you know that required this this prosecution. And uh, I said, well, we don't we don't we don't have any information that you know that would help you in your case. We don't have any evidence of you know, any financial, uh, I forget how they put that, that you owed any money. So the judge quashed the subpoenas. But it seems to me that getting those principles in there to explain that law, which these courts are fighting tooth and nail not to tip their hand on what they're doing. And yet when they suit is filed, the principles are supposed to be available. If an agent sues you, you can subpoena the principal in to answer for that agent's actions or to explain that agent's conduct, you know, the criteria. And I'm just wondering on the <clears throat> trial de novo, if having a expert witness in there like that would be a... If they weren't in the original trial, you're going to have a hard time uh, getting them in there. But let's go back and let's say that by some miracle you do manage to get them in there. Mm-hmm. Your basis, your basis 
for calling in a higher level witness is to determine whether or not the lower level witness at all times was acting within their in uh, harmony and application of statute law. Mm-hmm. See, because what your what your open door is is they were not acting in harmony with statute law. They were acting in harmony with customs and practices that are contrary to the statute, and the higher authority is responsible for failure to supervise. Okay. And I do believe that we did get um, that letter I spoke to you earlier about where you gave us the uh, what enactment of the legislature um, uh, require a license to go make, to point A. Yeah, requires uh, um, licensing or fee or tax to go from point A to point B in your property. And uh, I believe that was submitted to uh, um, both the circuit court judge, which the clerk told me that she did, that he didn't get that and he was going to respond. Um, and he hasn't, he hasn't responded, nor has, uh, I believe, the representatives nor the commissioners responded. Um, Their inability to answer is fraud by silence. Okay. If they have a duty to answer and they do, and they don't answer, that's fraud by silence. The point is seated. There is no law. Oh, and Bill, what about your matter? Some documents you put in where they had so many days to respond or they uh, acquiesced. That, that's the one I was just talking about. That's, that's where we uh, we did the 15 days to respond or your silence shall be deemed confession that there is no statute enacted by the legislature. Mm-hmm. That's another uh, uh, fulcrum point on a uh, 42 U.S.C. 1983. Okay. I was going to um, add that I was trying to figure out where uh, to get in touch with the risk management, and I couldn't really figure that out. You should be able to call state information, okay. and it should you should be able to get through to some operator that will give you the address. It can't be secret; it has to be public information. And risk management being something completely different than uh, uh, tort claims. Uh, no, risk management is your tort claim. Okay. See, risk management exists at different levels, and risk management is the civil side of uh, internal investigations. And Um, I'm still not clear exactly what racketeering is, and I can totally look that up, but... 
Yeah, uh, the, a real good definition of it is in the uh, book Secrets of the Legal Industry, but I can give it to you real quick. Racketeering has occurred when there is an association in fact, where association in fact is defined as two or more people agreeing to do a certain thing, and the association in fact affects interstate commerce where interstate commerce is defined as manufacturing a product or offering a service which can cross a state line or for which the marketing is an instrumentality of state commerce, such as U.S. mail, even if it doesn't cross the state line, or the use of the telephone, even if it doesn't cross the state line, and one or more members of the association, in fact, commits two or more acts of fraud, extortion, or mail fraud, and the result is it's damage to a business or property interest, and the pattern is likely to continue unless abated. That's racketeering. The one that's probably most often overlooked is a person's credit worthiness is a property interest. So anybody that uh, files your credit report has engaged in racketeering. Hmm. All right, is there anything else, guys? Yeah, uh, I did have one question. We're still looking at for Jason. That the uh, he was jailed and taken to trial without a charging instrument or a indictment, and I cannot right. seem to locate how to connect that requirement. Mm, you actually file a uh, what's called a civil habeas under. Um, I think it is uh, 42 U.S.C. 5553. Now, this is even at this late stage where this is going into the Supreme Court, Mississippi. No, yeah, no it's, you know, it, yeah, as I say, if you have different remedies, when you're talking about a remedy, you're usually talking about an administrative remedy that's available to you as a system of as part of a system of privilege. Okay. Uh, he made his objection to trial. They didn't have a charging instrument. The attorney admitted they didn't have a charging instrument. And I cannot find where they're mandated to bring a charging instrument. The Well, I mean, they have to because they have to be able to say who, what, where... <laughs> when, how, and they have to say the law was violated. They can't accuse you of being a bad person. I'll tell you, send, um, y'all got the book, uh, Secrets of the Legal Industry? Yes. Look under the uh, Doug Fortune case, and uh, Doug Fortune's was the federal civil habeas, but there's a state civil habeas that ends in the number three. 
Okay. And you can do a state civil habeas in federal court that they literally prosecuted you for being, in their opinion, a bad person. Now, when is that type of uh, filing appropriate? What when's the timeline, or what what stage? Of, uh, when you discover the infraction, uh, it's supposed to be filed. I think it has a probably a two-year statute of limitations, or it may only be one. But the stat, the toning of the time is when you discover the infraction, when you became aware of it. Okay, well, it's been a, it's been a year and some months because we asked from the from the beginning for the law. They never did give it to us till. Well, I don't think they even did. <clears throat> right. They just had these well, provisions. Now let, let me clarify something. In the federal, you can't file a civil habeas if the matter is under appeal. Okay. And because the impairment of a civil habeas is greater in some cases people might be well advised to waive their appeal. But I don't know of any such uh, rule in the state because even if you have it under appeal in the state, this is a federal action mm-hmm. against the state. Right. Okay. Which, should that be available to Tracy? Because crossing interstate, I mean, crossing state lines, the Privilege and Immunity Clause, gives you your protection for ingress and egress. Mm. No, I, w- I would, you know, just let, you know, work work on hers from what we've already discussed first. Mm-hmm. And then think back later about the civil habeas. Okay. All right. Um, last thing I want to ask Richard is, uh, again, uh, do you have any other students um, that have a, a network or community that, um, you know, you can share our information with or that are open to having their information shared? Uh, I've pretty well lost touch of everything. Uh, the blowout uh, between uh, me, me and Marie has a long, long story behind it, but uh, if it's not on the website, it probably is going to be pretty hard to find. Okay. The groups are still out there, but I've I've pretty well been forced to go underground by the highest powers. <clears throat> they don't like what was happening. Well, you know where we're at. You need to pass through and stop. For any length of time you want. All right. Well, I uh, I appreciate the offer, and it may be necessary someday in the not too distant future. Mm-hmm. Well, don't be a don't be hesitant to show up. All right. Sure. All right. Thank you very much, Richard. All right. Talk to y'all later. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.